Building Men is brought to you by Finish the Race Apparel, ftrapparel.com, the creators of all things Building Men, and by Become Stronger Industries, become-stronger.com, the creators of handmade steel maces, hammers, and other badass equipment. Everything that I do is focused around time. That's my number one commodity that I can't make more of and I can't get any more back. So if I have enough time, I can figure out how to become a good father. If I have enough time, I can figure out how to become a good husband. And so that's really been where where my North Star has been to make sure that I've given myself the time in order to set up the stage and a positive foundation for our, our family. <laughs> You're listening to the Building Men Podcast with Dennis and Anthony Miralda, brothers on a mission to help you become the strongest version of yourself mentally, spiritually, emotionally, and physically. What's happening, brother? <sighs> that's a, a sigh. I know. I just... Was that a sigh of relief? Was that a, a sigh of despair? What? What's the context behind your sigh? Oh, I'm just, you know, my body's feeling it. My head... Yeah, you're not. You're under the weather a little bit right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why I do have my tea. You do. We were. We as I we know. were talking with the guests. You do. I didn't even realize you had tea. I, I just. I just said it off the top of my head. And we we're in the we're in the works of potentially uh, signing another sponsor, a, mm. a tea company, testosterone boosting tea company. That's More right. to come, but it's definitely yeah, in the works yeah. for us right now. Yeah. Um, it's funny because I was at the food store and I took a picture of it. I forgot to send it to you. And I took a picture of all the teas yes. that were at the grocery store and every single one with these flamboyant colors and like all these flowers all over it. And then there was one that I saw that was this like dark looking one that had like a lightning bolt on it and my eyes were just drawn to yeah. that i don't even know what kind of tea it was i have no you idea i just saw that in your life i, yes. I need that lightning bolt anything in my life. Yeah. i mean it was ridiculous i'm like clearly they're marketing to these people and i saw this other guy looking for the teas i'm like oh shit that's Look cool this. like another, another guy, guy. i wanted space. to like tap on the shoulder like nice hey, what are you what are you what? going for you know and the, all of a sudden i hear the guy call up his wife and he's like, I don't know what the fuck I'm looking for here, babe. Chamomile, yeah, like, lavender, what yeah. the fuck? What's the difference? <laughs> like, oh, God. And I want to be able to, now that being sick, I had tea a couple times. And I, like, everybody knows I'm, I'm a big blueberry fan. But Julie got me blueberry tea. And I drank it like it was my fucking job. Yeah. I drank so much. And I said to you, how much is too much? Like, is it? Is it it's never. It's never too much. Never, never too, too much. much so with your tea, before we. Before we get into the into the interview, is it just the tea? Do you put honey in it? Do you put I've, sugar? Do you, uh, what do you do? I put honey in it yesterday when I had my tea because my throat was feeling a little weird. But normally I don't. And usually you could find teas that are pretty good by themselves. Yeah. Like I had this uh, matcha and rice tea. So it had like a ricey flavor to it. And it was matcha tea, which is just like seven green teas essentially put into one. It's really good. Um, so yeah, so it just depends. Depends on how I I'm feeling. I always wonder what matcha was. Yeah, it's literally just I'm pretty sure it's just green tea like it's just like equivalent to seven packages of green tea is matcha tea but I think there's more benefits in matcha tea it's than not there's. Randy Savage's brother My, not the matcha, matcha. man <laughs> the matcha man so before we get into where our, our guest it's a fucking really interesting story Jamie Gruber connected me with him and um, we had a conversation for about an hour on the phone and I was telling him I wish I was recording this conversation. It's fucking tremendous. It's wild. It It's so in line with what we're doing, but just on the other side of the of the bars and mm-hmm. we'll, we'll talk about that in a second but to set it up i would say we've all been in this experience thinking i remember myself in in um in high school middle school and high school i, I wasn't a troublemaker i never really got into trouble i would push the limits you know stupid shit but i the only time i ever got detention believe it or not was my senior year in high school and we had an opportunity to sign up for release time where you could go to school and the school day would end at like 1.45 or you took a study hall and your school day ended at 2.30. And I, I opted for that all the time because I was playing sports. So sports were right after school. So I would always, I opted for the study hall. Mm-hmm. And so first day of school, we, we all go to the gym. This is before any kind of digital attendance taking kind of thing. So we went to the gym and Mr. Stevenson was there and he was taking attendance and for some reason, the fire bell rings and everybody goes outside. So we didn't complete the attendance taking. And then it was our lunch. So then we're like, you know what? They didn't get our names down. Let's fucking roll with this. Mm-hmm. So 
I never went to study hall the whole fucking year. My lunch was like 45 minutes or 50 minutes, and then I had a study hall or before. So I wound up having like an hour and 50 minutes of lunch every day for my whole senior year. So we would go to Taco Bell. We would go to the mall. We, we could do whatever the fuck right. we wanted in the middle of the day. Then at the very end of the school year, we were getting ready for graduation, and we're getting ready for the lineup, and they're going through the fucking rosters, and none of us, it was me, like my friend Gary, my friend Greg, my friend Frank. We, we were off to the side, and they're like, what are you doing here? Like, well, we have study hall. They're like, you weren't here all year. Oh. And so they're like, you guys are suspended. You're, you're all suspended out of school. And I went to the principal. I was like, listen, I get it. We, you know, what we did wasn't right. But also, you lost track of five 18-year-olds for the last 180 fucking school days. Did you days. really say that? Dude? I did. And they were like, all right, one detention. So we got out with one detention. Oh, my God. So my whole career, I had one detention. But as I'm setting this story up, I always wondered, like, what would I do if my freedom was taken away? Mm. As I was in that hour of detention, my, <laughs> my freedom was taken away. It will not compare to the 17,000 hours of behind bars that our, that our guest, Travis Ritchie, has. <laughs> Travis Ritchie is Convicted Life podcast host. He's an entrepreneur, motivational speaker. Um, he created a program called Accomplished Ventures. And um, where he works with, with people that were incarcerated, helping them re to become returned citizens after the fact. He's a great dude. Travis, welcome to the podcast, my man. Great to have you here. <laughs> great to be here, gentlemen. Thanks for the opportunity. So I'm not going to say that I served hard time. Um, I'm not going to say that my, my experience... We're not counting your detention at hard time, what you're saying. It, for me, it was hard. I mean, I, I think I, you know, there was a girl I was really interested in at the time that I didn't go get to go to her house a after lot of school. Or you learned like, a lot about yourself. The in that struggle hour. is real. Yeah. So obviously it's not on the same level as uh, people wouldn't <laughs> compare the two. But I, I, we need to hear a little bit of a backstory. We, you and I talked on the phone for about an hour. And I would be doing a disservice to the Building Men audience, not giving you an opportunity just to share a little bit about your backstory um, to bring us up to speed with how you, you started this venture. So give us a, a little bit about that backstory, Travis. Yeah, I'll give you just a, just a brief overview. We can dive into it at, at, at any point, maybe later. So, um, you know, I, I, much like you, you know, kind of screwed around with friends, you know, didn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't consider us like a troubled teens, you know, we, we did dumb things in the parking lot. You know, we, 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 we stole blow up lizards from circle K, you know, like as they were blowing the wind, but like, you know, we weren't out jacking cars and, you know, you know, pushing old ladies carts over, you know, we were just boys. And, and so, you know, grew up on the East coast, kind of in that rough and tumble environment. And, um, as, as I grew up, you know, I really had this affinity towards numbers and math and so i really knew that i wanted to do something in the financial sector and you know was was fortunate enough to do so you know went to college and and got a degree and you know did all the all the quote unquote right things and found myself at the age of 25 kind of living the dream you know married to you know my best friend you know fantastic individual beautiful woman and um running a hedge fund and had millions of dollars under management we had a $10 million fund that was registered with the federal government and the SEC. And um, it was about the time when the whole world collapsed, you know, the old Great Recession. And um, I had a small fund in, in a real estate fund, and we'd raised just a little bit over $3 million for that fund. And it was 2006, and we closed that down in 2007. So it was open for about eight or nine months. and unbeknownst to me and uh and the people that were around me the state of arizona does not recognize federal securities laws and they require you to register your securities with the state of arizona kind of a an, a wild wild west cowboy type state and so the state of arizona actually indicted me for what they term transactions of an unregistered securities dealer or salesman big long word and we fought that case for six and a half years. And I got to the point where I was just absolutely exhausted, mentally, physically, emotionally, financially, spiritually, you name it. You know, you're going through this, this time, you're walking the, into the courtroom every 90 days, you don't have any answers, you're doling out money left and right for legal fees. And at the same time, you know, my wife and I are still building a life. You know, she's finishing her school, you know, she wants to start a family. I'm still running the business. You know, it's like I've got one foot in and one foot out. And uh, and so we, 
we we thought about it we talked about it we prayed about it and said you know we're going to leave this up to the judge and and it's hard to really put the listeners in that moment unless you've really really been in some deep waters if you've really been in some dark places to where you say you know what whatever is coming after this can't be as bad as what this is and that's where we got to we were on the floor of the the living room one night and said you know what we're going to leave this up so called my attorney had that conversation and um in 2012 january literally 16 days from today will be a decade wow um, yeah and uh the judge got in front of the judge and her words were very specific they pierced me and she said i'm going to make an example out of you wow and she uh, sentenced me to two years in the arizona department of corrections it's I, and i could feel the as you were saying that what the audience might feel when you when you recognize there's only one way through this and that's through it that's it but then hearing the words i'm going to make an example out of you whatever follows that is it's not going to be good news for you so before i i want to pause the story there because when we talked you also gave me a little bit with your backstory as far as you were raised pretty much in a single parent family um, by your mom. That's also an interesting dynamic in this story as well, which is why you mentioned maybe you were a little bit more on the radar in in Arizona because of the, of the story with your father. So bring us up to speed a little bit in that respect as well with your dynamics with your parents growing up. Yeah, big time. So when, what happened was, you know, my dad, <clears throat> growing up, my dad was, was an entrepreneur. You know, was a very intelligent individual and had a number of very successful businesses, both big and small. Um, but his his biggest problem was the man that stared back at him every morning when he brushed his teeth. And and so Pops got addicted to heroin um, right around the fifth grade. And and so he he became you know a, an out of control monster. Growing up, he was heavily involved in organized crime of, of all levels, um, you know, and, and as you're little, you know, you you hear different stories, you know, as you grow up, you see different things, you know, he, he came home with duffel bags of money, you know, you, you'd look and find out what the syringes were, you know, you started to kind of piece things together. But at the time, you know, you're five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 years old, you know, you're, you, you don't really want to believe that the individual who is your dad is this is this monster right and so i would see it kind of in, in short spurts in glimpses and so for example you know at a at pop warner football games um you know it, it it was it not a saturday would go by where he wouldn't come out of the bleachers you know flip the rolex off and and just start beating another coach to death in the middle of the field um you know he was an incredibly violent individual some of it based on you know his past his childhood but a lot of it based on, you know, the addictions that he was fighting in his day to day. My dad is a very large man, um, you know, was was a bodybuilder and, you know, very, very, very strong. And so it was an interesting dichotomy. I would go to school. And at this time, you guys probably remember it. You had two two programs. You had the D.A.R.E. program. And then you had the great program. I don't know if you guys had that, but back east, you know, we had the great, you know, gang resistance and education and. And they they'd show these pictures they pull these photos out you know you'd have like officer friendly up there and he'd pull this photo out of some like long haired no teeth meth looking you know degenerate and he'd say okay boys and girls like this is a drug addict that you need to be aware of and i'm in the audience like no it's not my dad's got you know shaved head my dad's incredibly in shape my dad's got no tattoos my dad's tan he's got blue like that's not a drug addict. Like, I don't know what you guys are talking about, but like my dad who moves a lot of drugs around the country, <laughs> that's not what he looks like. So, you know, it, it was, it was, it was an interesting upbringing and it got to the point where the addictions and, and the crime just became so involved and so heavy that my mom chose to leave. And, and it was a, it was a good choice for, for her and for us as kids albeit a you know a very difficult choice after you know 20 plus years you know trying to to make this individual and this family work and so you know my 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 mom took us on the path of you know spirituality and righteousness and 
And then my dad just further dove into his negative behaviors. And so um, my dad was the vice president of the Hells Angels. And as a result, got entangled in some very deep and ugly stuff um, with the federal government and had a shootout with the Mongols in Laughlin and, you know, was was on the wrong side of that video camera, those video cameras. Um, and so Pops went up the river and, you know, for a very long time, for forever. And um, that really did not help my case in the state of Arizona, as you could imagine. Um, you know, my dad was on the radar for quite some time based on his actions, based on the individuals that he hung around with. And when it got to, uh, to, to be my turn in front of that judge, you know, over the years that we had fought this, we had heard these different undertones from different judges, different prosecutors that were thrown off the case because of, you know, misdeeds that they did or misconduct they had towards us. Um, and it became so clear to me that this was a vendetta, that this was a personal agenda. You know, and everybody that I spoke to, everybody that I had a conversation with, you know, whether it was legal, uh, you know, a, a lawyer or a friend, you know, they're like, this just doesn't add up. And it, on, in terms of why you're being prosecuted this hard, you know, when you looked at the case in general, there was a couple sexy points. You know, I was very young. I had a lot of money under management and, you know, my, my family reputation definitely preceded me. And so when you start to paint those pictures together, as they love to do on, you know, news channel 10, you know, they don't paint you in the greatest of light. They're not going to say that, you know, this is a young man who did everything the right way and was really had the tiger by the tail and, and made a misstep. That's not the story that right. they paint. They paint the story that, you know, you come from an organized crime background. You come from a, you know, a very, very, very salacious father who, you know, has been all over the news, who's done some very horrible, nasty things. And this is just you following in his footsteps. And before you go too far and too deep, we're going to slap you in the mouth and we're going to let you know that we're still in charge. That's the narrative that they tell. Yeah. And first thing, before I even get into the, the father figure role, who knew that the Hells Angels had a, you know, a de democratic system of president, vice president. Uh, yeah. Like how Secretary. Yeah. Yeah. Treasurer. Um, yeah. They've got a whole, they've got a whole setup. Yeah. Sergeant of arms, all of it. It's wild. I That's crazy. never had yeah. any idea that that was going on. So <laughs> real quick with your father, then, you know, you mentioned you were seeing all of these things, the, that toxic part, that, that role of a father figure that was real negative in nature. So where did yeah. you develop your sense of masculinity from as you were growing up? Was there a mentor? Was there a coach? Or did you just figure it out by watching TV? How did you develop that sense of self uh, around your masculinity? Golly so many areas so growing up you know my dad had a lot of really interesting one-liners that didn't make sense to you you know I, I i tell some funny stories like we'd be driving to school and um you know you're, you're, i'm nine years old right you're, you're i'm little he'd be driving to school and he'd say hey just so you know don't ever threaten anybody right what are you talking about right i'm in the front seat you know they used to let kids ride in the front seat you know back in the 80s right and I'm in the front seat, and I'd be like, what is this guy talking about? And he'd say, just so you know, if you threaten somebody and you don't follow through, then you've become a coward. And if you threaten somebody and they get a jump on you, then you're behind the eight ball. So if you have an issue with somebody, you walk up and you sock them in the fucking mouth. You don't threaten anybody. You don't tell anybody that you're coming, but you come with a vengeance. Like... All right, I'm going to grab my sack lunch. We're out of here. <laughs> and so there was a lot of his stories that now, you know, now that fast forward, you know, that I'm, I'm a father that I look back and I'm like, okay, there was definitely some validity here. There was definitely some truth here, especially in today's world. You know, I have a 10 year old boy now with bullying and I tell him that all the time. Hey, you see this kid right here? You see this kid that's talk, 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 yap, 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 talk, talk, talk. It's usually like the fat kid. Like that kid's just insecure. That kid is just very unsure of himself. So he's never the one that you're going to have to worry about on the football field or the lacrosse field, or he's never going to be the one that attacks you. He's going to say some really mean and nasty things, 
but he's never going to come at you physically. And so like, that's where I would start to pick up like, okay, so this is what my dad actually should have said, you know, but in, in like a lot of his stupors and his right. anger, he would just, you know, rattle off some crazy shit. Um, so a portion of my masculinity came from there. You know, my dad was very, very conscious that we were hunters, we were gatherers, you know, we ate what we killed and, you know, we didn't, we weren't reliant upon anybody to put food on our table. Um, and so he was very masculine in that capacity from a spiritual perspective. Um, I had, a, I, I, until, and still to this day, I had, and I have a role model. His name's Quade Nelson. Um, and from a spiritual perspective, he's been in my life, in my family's life, you know, since we were born. Um, still married to the same woman to this day, you know, 30 years later, um, you know, raised two beautiful children and grandchildren. And he's really been that even keeled individual that I can go to from a father figure perspective and get a different perspective in life than I got from my dad. When your name, is, when your name is Quade Nelson, you have no other choice but to be that father figure role. I mean, I'm just that's that's the name I would give to the character of the movie. That's gonna, I'm going to go to for advice. His name is Quade Nelson. That sounds like yeah. Arnold Schwarzenegger character. In one of well, the- and and to give you a little background, you're absolutely right. You know, Quade's probably six four, two hundred and sixty pounds, and he wears cowboy boots. So yeah, you're you're absolutely right. And you know, he he drives a, an earth mover. You know, at the at the coal at the gold mine. You know, like yeah, that's the guy. You know, and. And so it, it, he's been, you know, kind of my, my spiritual, you know, guidance on that point, because I didn't have anything in terms of a father figure that I could point to and say, hey, this is a good idea, you know, that I should emulate. But what I did know was that if I had enough time, that I could figure anything out. And that's where my wife and I have gone in our relationship with our family is everything that I do is focused around time. That's my number one commodity that I can't make more of and I can't get any more back. So if I have enough time, I can figure out how to become a good father. If I have enough time, I can figure out how to become a good husband. And so that's really been where where my North Star has been to make sure that I've given myself the time in order to set up the stage and a positive foundation for our, our family. Did did you find that you ever wanted to go down that path that your father went down? Like, did you ever feel this like inkling to be like, man, that's badass? Like, look at all the stuff he's Always. doing. Because that's what Always. I find interesting. Yeah. Always. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's a real, it's, it's confusing. And I, I say this, you know, I speak to a lot of youth groups and I say this to them all the time. It's a very confusing state, you know, when you're 10, 11, 12 years old, when this monster who's living with you, you want to make sure that he doesn't come back into your house. Like you're scared to death of him, right? You're so nervous. You're so worried that he's going to come back. But at the same time, he's your dad. And it's just the weirdest dichotomy to try to figure out. And so, yeah, to your, to your question, absolutely. Because growing up, you know, it wasn't, it, I didn't have any, any problems as long as he was around because he was psychotic. <clears throat> you know, he would, he would do things that would ensure that the family was safe legal illegal right wrong didn't matter um i mean and and he was notorious for it and so yeah i i all the time you know i i can remember many 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 times you know i would be 15 16 years old 17 years old 18 years old you know driving him and his friends around you know with with duffel bags full of of guns and ammunition and money you know going from one place to another because i was the clean kid you know, I was, I, I, I never did drugs because of what I saw, you know, I knew that I would keep my nose out of trouble because I didn't want to go down that path. But at the same time, I wanted to be close to it. There was something regardless of how, you know, spiritual or religious or whatever it might be, there's something that we all have, whether it's an HBO documentary or a Showtime series, there's something that's very interesting and intriguing about being a neighborhood gangster. Before we get into picking the story back up again, I w- want to just comment on the f- sit in the front seat when you were nine years old. It just brought <laughs> me back to it was the wild, wild west in cars. You yeah. I remember laying in the back of, you know, in the state we had a station wagon sitting in the back of a station wagon, or even in a pickup truck. You could like be in the back of a pickup truck. Our old man had a had a work van, and I remember there would be 
we'd go out for batting practice for the baseball team. We'd have eight kids sitting on paint cans or drop <laughs> calls in the back of a van. Yeah. And he'd take a turn, and we'd fucking fly all over the place and hitting the wall. And, yeah. yeah, concussions yeah. left and right. We had it was, but it it was like that's that's what we did. You just fucking you sat on the paint bucket or, or the drop cloths and let's go, strap it in and strap it up. So, so, so now we're back in. So now this this judge basically says, "I'm going to make an example out of you." You, you said you had this feeling of, "Oh sh, oh shit, this is fucking real right now." Oh. What 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 was the initial sentence that you got from the judge? Two years. She said, "I remand you to two years in the Department of Corrections." And and was that? Did you serve the full two years? Uh, I did not. No, no. I got very lucky. So Arizona had a. Uh, still has an 85% good time. So if you get two years, you only do 85%, which is like what, 18 months, um, and or, or 21 months, sorry. Um, and then I think uh, I got 90 days because of some, uh, you know, good time drug counseling, whatever it might have been. So I ended up doing uh, about 18 months. Good time. Yeah, that's I'm sure that's the best way to, to talk about your time in prison, right? <laughs> oh, man, it was such a circus. So now I'm interested in the um, relationship dynamic with your wife. Now you've, you've gone through this experience together. Now you have children and there's, yeah. you know, or one on the way or however the case may be. And you were, yeah. there, there's gotta be this conversation that you're having with your wife now about, okay, like what's going on at home? What's next for us? How are we going to handle this situation? So bring us a little bit into that relationship dynamic between you and your wife. Yeah. To, to rewind a little bit, the day that we pulled up, you know, the day that I got sentenced, we parked our car outside and I put money in the meter. Like it was not, it was not in our game plan to do anything except for walk back out of the court building yeah. that we've done for the last six and a half years. Um, and so we didn't plan. We didn't talk about it. We, we didn't even think of the idea, you know, of like her having to move out of our house or her having to, to take over the bills or her having to get my password for banking. None of it. We didn't talk about any of it. And so uh, when, when she gave me that sentence, when the judge gave me that sentence, it was, I, I literally blacked out. And as I came to, you know, they were, it was the first time in my life they were, the, they were putting the, the handcuffs on my wrists. And one of the reasons that I was like, what in the world? My left handcuff was cutting into my skin. It was so tight. And you'll never forget those moments. You never forget the sound of that steel as they click together. You never forget the way that they smell. They smell old and like rusted out. Um, and so I looked across the courtroom and, and told her that I loved her and, you know, knew that I was built for this. And there was a part of me that felt, ah, like this is over. This is over. This is a new chapter. And it was literally a millisecond long. You know, I didn't, I didn't wallow in there. I didn't wait in there. It didn't feel great. I don't want to set that BS up, but there was a moment where I was like, okay, this is a new chapter. And so, um, having that dialogue with my wife, yeah, it was, it was intense. What I started to do, you know, when you, when you go into intake, when you go from jail to prison, you know, when they take your, your photos and, you know, your blood and all that stuff, um, you have a period of about 21 days plus or minus a month where you're just sitting in holding <clears throat> and you, you, there's no telephones because they're afraid that you're going to tell your loved ones where you're getting transferred to. And there's no windows. It's like a really bad Vegas nightclub. And I'm, I, I have access to a number two pencil and five sheets of paper a day. And so I start writing to Melissa cause I can get stamps. So I start writing to Melissa and I, I start telling her about, you know, everything's okay and this is what's going on and here's kind of the scene and, you know, and I was, I initially started writing for her, you know, to let her know that I was okay. But what I quickly realized was that that writing became therapeutic and cathartic for me. And so we actually took that exact relationship and wrote hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of letters back and forth to one another. And I took it as an opportunity for us to deep dive into our relationship. I wanted her sometimes, especially in today's world, right? I, I now call them text message tough guys or keyboard warriors. Everybody feels a little bit more comfortable behind the screen. 
And, and so I took that as an opportunity, my wife and I did to say, okay, like, let's talk about everything. What's our fears? What's our weaknesses? What's our strengths? What's our goals? What's our dreams? And so when we started to communicate on paper, our relationship had, had been so healthy during that time that I was incarcerated. I can't even put it into words. And as we started to write back and forth to one another, and then I got transferred to a prison yard where she could come and visit. She made those visits every weekend, every Saturday and every Sunday, drove hours one way. And our visits became optimistic. We would talk about the things that we were going to do. This wasn't a death sentence. This wasn't a life sentence. And so her and I would have these conversations where I would say, I am so grateful that this time, this two years, that we can set aside and we can learn more about one another, that we can dig deep and understand what we want. Because I don't want to be 80 years old, 70 years old, 60 years old, living with that six-letter word that most people call regret. We know friends and family members that don't want to be married. I don't ever want to be in that position because to me, that's a death sentence. And we created this beautiful, you know, two years both on pen and paper and in person where we would literally architect the life that we were going to live as soon as I was out. What a different way to, to take that situation. I mean, I would say that's got to be definitely in the minority, right? I, there's got to be less yeah. than 1% of the people that it would find themselves in your situation that took that challenging spot and made something beautiful out of it. Looked at the, not only the glasses half full but also let's let's look at the glass itself let's really inspect what's going on here with us become the best us that we can become for each other then as well and for our family moving forward i it's really amazing and i'm the the fact that you were journaling and it became this therapeutic experience that you went through understanding who you truly were um, i would challenge people out there just to start writing their their shit down too often we keep stuff bottled up in our heads and we don't ever get an opportunity to get it out on paper and then read our thoughts and share that with another human being you know you, you go back to the time that we were growing up we used to write notes to it you actually have to put the pen yeah. to the the paper and write those things and share that experience with someone it's it's something that i think something that we think we need to get back to as human beings i couldn't agree more i couldn't agree more it's 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 part of our daily like literally as i sit here it's part of our daily we still write down pen and paper every day and and and, and now we do it with our little ones you know we just did our 2022 family goals you know when we put those there they're of course digital because our kids are way more advanced yeah. technologically than we are but, you know, still to this very day, every morning I start out, you know, journaling in some sort of, you know, what I call spirituality. I'm not, I'm not forcing a religion upon anybody, but where I deem spirituality, I put spirituality in the vein of purpose. And so what I often find, and I'm, and I'm sure you guys do as well, is so many guys that I know wake up at the age of 40 with what should be a good life, right? They're, they're still with their wife. Their kids don't have any major you know, deformities or ailments. They've got a fairly decent job, if not a great paying job, and they hate their life. You're describing so, me five years ago. That was exactly, me. exactly. And, and you know this, like these are the guys that have a death sentence, who have a life sentence. When you, when you start to realize, and, I, and I, I really deep dive into the word change oftentimes, so many times in our world, we're told, hey, don't change, don't change, don't change, don't change. You don't want to wake up one day and your spouse says you've changed, your friends say you've changed, your family says you've changed. But then you wake up at the age of 40 and you go, I have changed and I'm miserable. And I don't think that we deep dive enough into ourselves and into our souls and really rewire our belief systems from 20 to 25 to 30, you know, and so on. I, I believe that with the word change, when, when, you, when we grow up, you know, we get the old adage, tigers and leopards and stripes and spots, right? Oh, you know, a tiger can't change it and a leopard can't change, and a zebra can't change. Well, the good news is everybody listening is we're not damn jungle animals. Nice. You can be better. You can rise above any of your biography, if you will. But what I, what I will submit to you is this, and, and I say this with the most intention and the most powerful feeling that I can get across to everybody listening. 
you will never rise above the opinion that you formed of yourself. I love that. The strongest force in the human personality is the need to remain consistent with how you define yourself. We know this to be a fact. And so if you wake up at the age of 40 and you've defined yourself as X, this is your fault. But the good news is how you got there was just through a series of habits. So we can rewire those habits and we can get you to where you deserve to be. And you could be, take that, you know, the tiger stripes and the spots and become a liger, which is bred for its You're magical right. abilities <laughs> from the point dynamite. Um, I'd, lo- <laughs> I'd love to, to just really quickly about like walking into prison for that first instance. Now you're actually in in that you're you're locked up. You said you, I wrote down up the river. That's yeah. I've never talked about <laughs> someone who's been up the river or, or in the clink. Or it's like those are the notes that I take when I'm doing a when I'm interviewing for a podcast. But because so, our idea of prison comes from documentaries or, or you know yeah, yeah. TV Shank show. Redemption. Yeah, exactly. So like, what was that? Did you have to keep to yourself, or did you just have to like? Were you just kind of solo in this, or did you meet up? With yeah, people good question. So, so you're driving, you're on a bus, you're on this rattle trap bus, you're driving across the desert because never has a federal or state government put a prison in a decent town. And so you're, you're driving to the middle of nowhere. Our particular prison was literally so close to the Mexico border at nighttime when the sun would go down, we could see the Mexico flag. Okay. I would say 80% of our our corrections officers walked over the border every day, took their U.S. dollars and their W-2s, and then cruised back over to live in Mexico. So when you're driving, you're on this bus, there's 50 of you, you're shackled head to toe, you know, and and literally like you've, you know, you're, uh, and so you're shackled and you pull up and it's just this big, long drive, you know, and it's just concrete tower after razor wire after concrete tower after razor wire and then the bus finally stops and you pull up to the front and there's so much razor wire and chain link that you can't actually see everything inside you can see the you can see the oranges and you can see the people moving but there's so much razor wire and chain link and and areas and sally ports and between you and and the yard that you can't actually see through and you get off the bus and you're shackled up and you're taking your steps down the bus and, you, and, and you're taking your steps onto the yard and they give you a, a bedroll and they give you a pillow and, and they give you a, you know, a cell assignment and, you know, there you are. And I had a gentleman walk over to me, you know, prison is, is obviously very um, racially motivated. Um, and so I had a white guy walk over to me and, and, you know, obviously between my, my hair and my blue eyes, he said, all right, so you're with us. And, you know, he said, where are you going? And I showed him my, my slip and he said, all right, I'll show you where it's at. And, uh, you know, he showed me to my cell and, and, um, there you are sitting on your bunk in prison, just like that. And I didn't want to be in that room. I didn't want to be in that cell. And so I, I wanted to go outside and on this particular day, the, the workout yard, the rec yard was open. And so I walked outside to the workout yard and you know i had sunglasses on and i just stood in the workout yard on this concrete slab and i just wanted the sun to let me know that i was alive those were my very first moments in prison and i knew really quickly i had a feeling very quickly that i needed to have some friends and and the biggest guy on the yard that I could find, he was, he was doing laps. He was shirtless. He had to weigh 280 pounds, just solid. And uh, another white guy, he had a Walkman on. And, and so I just started <clears throat> mirroring his activities. Um, and uh, about a week into it, him and I had a conversation. Um, and he told me his story. He was a family man as well and ran a couple small businesses. And um, the reason that he was in, he purchased steroids from China and shipped them to a UPS store. And they got him for drug trafficking. Wow. 
And so, uh, yeah, family man, married, you know, kids, the whole nine and big dude. And, and so him and I started, he was my partner from that point forward. Um, and, and we actually still text message to this day. He's out and thriving and, and doing well. Um, and so that was, that was my workout routine. That was the guy that I was paired up with. And just because I was a little bit intelligent, I figured, you know, the biggest dude on the yard may or may probably most likely going to be the guy I should saddle up with. Um, I will tell you, cause everybody loves a good prison story. I will tell you a good prison story. Um, about halfway into my sentence, um, this, this guy lands on the yard, this black guy, he lands on the yard and he is as big, if not bigger than, than my workout partner, Lauren, he's huge. And this guy is doing pull-ups, you know, in, in sets of 50 and <clears throat> big monster. And so he's on the yard for a couple of weeks and he does some things that are not, are not right. So he takes some people's food because of who he thinks he is or what yard he came from. Um, he says some things to some certain people. And when it really got crazy was he took another individual's workout shoes. And we're on the yard walking and I have never heard the screams so loud in my life. And there's this guy, he probably weighs 170 pounds soaking wet. And he has two socks wrapped around both of his hands. And he has master locks, like from a, you know, like from that we used in high school, like Saved by the Bell style, you know, 15, 24, 36. (laughs) He has two master locks and they're wrapped around both of his middle fingers and they're wrapped in socks. And he is splitting this guy open this big dude that was doing the 50 pull-ups he is splitting him open left right and center because this is the guy whose shoes that he took beats him literally to the point you know the guards come out guns come out you know rubber bullets get fired everybody's on the ground and it was it literally and i say this all the time with, with no joke in when i say it but like the smallest little psychopath in prison is some of the most dangerous individuals. You know, they call them missiles or they call them heat seekers, you know, they call them enforcers, but these guys were relentless. And it, it came a point where, you know, the backstory was the, the individuals that ran the yard said to the guy who got his shoes stolen, Hey, if you don't step up and do something, this is going to continue and it's going to be worse and worse and worse. And I, I swear to you, I didn't see it happen from the beginning, you know, but I, the, the scream, and I still remember to this day, a decade later, the scream that you heard on the yard from this guy, I mean, his head is just being split open like a watermelon. Um, and that's where the prison term, not that, but um, that is often referred to the prison term of, of having your wig split. I'm wondering a lot of prison terms. This is yeah. amazing. Did, were you ever in in danger of of your for your life in prison like ever like worried about being shivved or shanked or is that the is that the right term am i you're, right you're looking at me right yeah well, i don't know I'm... we both served two two hours of detention <laughs> accumulating yeah. over there. yeah you guys were hardened criminals back in the day <laughs> yeah. right i get it i get it uh no fortunately um fortunately no i had a i had once i was classified um you know once they they go through the intake process nothing and i know you guys are going to be shocked to hear this but nothing with the government goes quickly i know spoiler alert and so you know from the time you go from jail then you get classified to a prison yard you kind of go to what what they call a reception as stupid as a term as that sounds they literally call it a reception yard which is just like thousands of dudes in like bunker style or dormitory style and then from there, they ship you off to different yards. And once they have a bus load that goes to this this yard, it goes out. Or a bus load to that yard, it goes out. And so this, this holding period is plus or minus like three months. Okay. And then once I got classified, which is what that means, once I got classified and they were like, oh, you know, first time, nonviolent, has an education, they sent me to the minimum yard. And on that minimum yard is really where 
Accomplished Ventures was born because on that minimum yard, everybody had to have a job and it was, it was considered a working yard. So in most of these small towns across America where the prisons are, are the industry, a lot of the inmates will do a lot of the dirty work. They could work in the fields, they could work in the factories, you know, they could work in, in, in a myriad of places. And so at our particular location, we had um, about 50 different jobs in the community. So we actually worked for the Parks and Rec. We worked for the, the city and, you know, where we would go around and, and landscape the, the, the parks or the yards or the pools. Um, we worked for the fire department. We worked for the sheriff department. We had all of these jobs, right? And there was a, there was a garden. And because of my degree and because of where I, I, I kind of put myself in on the yard from a teaching or a tutor perspective, you know, when people find out about my crime, because you find out about everybody's crime, when people find out about your crime, they started, you know, hey, Wall Street, I got a question for you. You know, um, um, my mom's starting this or how do I invest in that? So it kind of became this like financially related conversations on the yard. And once they got classified, um, there was a tutor position that was available out of the community college. So the there was this uh the small business development center it's an sbdc it's a nonprofit. they're nationwide and they are usually in, in cohorts with you know smaller community colleges and so the four yards that made up my city my prison city would meet at this community college and now keep in mind we're not you know running around and frolicking with the boys and girls we have our own sally port section we have our own you know trailers that we're going into you know as inmates um, nonetheless, we're still part of that community college. So I get out there and uh, so rewind because of my degree. And, and so this tutor position becomes available and they say, Hey, you know, we want you to go and, and teach out at the college. And I say, yeah, cool. Let's do it. And so when I got out there that day, <clears throat> that week, they were putting together like business plans for ideas for small businesses. And I didn't have a, a job at this point other than to tutor. And there was really no direction. And so I, I kind of went, you know, person by person and said, what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? And I would give them ideas. Hey, have you thought about this? Have you thought about that? And, and naturally I became kind of the go-to guy. And the gentleman at the small business development center said, Hey, why don't you teach a business one-on-one course? Great, let's do it. And so we started to put together courses in curriculum and, and I would, I would literally just write all day long for these guys all day long because they didn't have access to Google or the internet. And so when guys would come to me, they'd be like, Hey, all right, Travis, I'm going to be out in 30 days. How do I set up a business? And I'd be like, okay, you need to go to the secretary of state website. What city are you, what, what state are you going to? Okay. So it's going to be sos.ca.gov. You're going to need to pull up the articles of incorporation. You need to file those. Don't worry about this and, and, and don't worry about expediting them. Just make sure that this is what a registered agent means. And okay, so once that's done, and I'm writing all this down for these guys. All right, now what you have those registered, now, now that's with the state. Now you're going to need an EIN number. That's an employer identification number. It's a nine-digit number that's given to you from the IRS. It's free. Don't pay anybody for it. It's called an SS-4 form. Here's what, like, And I'm walking them through all of this. And, and what I realize, guys, is all of a sudden I've got – everybody at the college is like wait a minute wait a minute wait a minute this guy's got some real knowledge here he's he's willing to share it because that's an unusual thing in prison and not just in prison in today's world let's be honest right everybody doesn't want to share their idea because of crab in the bucket theory or scarcity mindset or someone's going to steal it but especially in prison nobody's giving away free game and that's all i wanted to do i really wanted these cats to succeed and so the business 101 course turned into a, a credit course and it turned into a finance course. And, and when I say course, I really want the listeners to understand we're writing with pencil and paper and pen and paper. So it's not like, you know, we have PowerPoints and, you know, spreadsheets and chart. Like this is a very rudimentary setup, but nonetheless, very impactful. And what I realized then, this is where the moment that that accomplished was born every one of these guys got out and they needed credit. They needed to have their credit run for an apartment. They needed to get a vehicle. 
And more, more often than not, nine times out of 10, they, they have poor credit or no credit. And they go to some buy here, pay here car lot and some jerk off who worked there would give them a 20% interest rate on a 1984 Saturn. And, you know, they'd have an $800 a month car payment. And then they would start doing some illegal stuff in order to make the car payment. And so I told my wife, I can fix that. Like FICO score is free. I can get these guys their score twice a year. And so I started having them write to their loved ones and, and we were obtaining their credit scores and their credit reports. And I'd be like, is this your name? And he'd be like, no, that's my, my brother-in-law or my cousin. All right, let's dispute it. Let's get that rid of it. Let's get that off of there. And sure enough, I was like, holy cow. If I can get these guys a 620 or a 640 or a 650 to walk out the gates to, they can go to Toyota or Nissan or you know, go to a small dealership and lease a car for a buck 99 and get an apartment so that they're not slinging meth in the, in the hood. And this is a life changer. I can teach that, and this is free. And that's as far as my thought process really went at the time. And I knew I could fix a problem and I wanted to. And so now you're now when you when you're out, you recognize. Wait a second, I was onto something here. There, there's not a lot of people that are in your space that took the opportunity to help better individuals, give them a second no. chance. Rather than so, you did that. So just inherently, you had that in you to want to help other people. Then yeah. when you get out, so now you're out and you're trying to rebuild shit in your own life. Yes. Tell us what then that became. So now you're out. Like, what what is the the future of the accomplished program now? Yeah, I am rebuilding everything. You know, I, I I they they wouldn't allow me to work for myself while I was on while I was I was still on probation. So um, I worked at nighttime overnight. I stacked bread trucks so that I could work for myself during the day and build my own business back up. So that I had a you know a W two. Um, I, I work nighttime and I stack bread trucks for a guy uh, for a small bakery. And as I'm rebuilding, you know, everything kept pointing back to me educating these guys. And I, I started with a financial literacy course and I wanted to make sure that when they got this course, that it was totally tangible, that you could walk out and you would, you could get your FICO, you could set up a business, all the above. You, you knew what a bank account looked like, felt like, and, and, and you could do that fast forward that that caught on fire because everybody wanted to learn about money and so you fast forward a decade later almost a decade later you know accomplished is now the largest provider of prison curriculum and content in america we have uh about four hundred thousand tablets that we're on on a daily basis and we teach everything from financial literacy to entrepreneurship and now our biggest focus is the mindset, the mental awareness. And we've moved into, you know, breath work and motivation and, and, and consciousness because I'll give you kind of a small why behind it is for you and I, for the three of us to walk into a job interview, let's say, that could be a daunting task. What's he going to ask me? What's she going to ask me? What should I wear? Right. But imagine that you don't have a resume. How do I explain where I was for the last three years? And so I wanted these guys to control the narrative. And so I, I would start teaching them about controlling the narrative. And I'd say, all right, here's the thing. Here's the thing, Dennis. I'm, I'm grateful for your time today, and I'm grateful for this interview. I want to let you know that the last 20 months of my life have been taken from me. The reason I applied for this position with your company is because there's three things I learned my, about myself while incarcerated that I think directly apply to your job posting. If you'd like to tell me that we can continue, I'd love to tell you about my story and how I can bring value to your company. If not, I don't want to waste another 20 minutes of my life or yours. And most employers were like, holy crap, do you have three friends? Like the authenticity, the self-confidence. Oh my gosh, I can teach you to sell a car or a widget. I can teach you how to pack a UPS truck. But like, holy crap. First of all, thanks for being honest. That doesn't happen. Second of all, the, the self-confidence, where did you learn that? And so those are the courses that we're now more focused on, right? Like the, the building up of the man is where I believe we win in life. When we build that man up to give him a purpose and a passion, the profits follow. 
And so that's where Accomplished Ventures is focused. We're in approximately 155 different jails and prisons around the country. And I get to spend my days traveling the world and speaking to the Department of Corrections and the bureaus of prisons on how to actually rehabilitate inmates. And then I get to spend some time with the inmates and take a Q&A and find out where their pain points are and really help build them up from a mental perspective so that they're ready to hit the gate running. It's, it's absolutely fascinating. And with Building Men being the name of our podcast, it fits right in with that idea. While this is the first interview we've done um, with someone who has been incarcerated, so many of the interviews, the people that we talk to have gone through that specific challenging spot in their life and the chips were down and they had to make a decision. Am I going to fold or am I going to, I'm going to play the hand that was dealt and I'm going to fucking go all in on me in the best possible way that I can. And so yes. you did that. And not only, not only did you do it for yourself and, and came out, I would argue a stronger individual than when you walked yes. in you took that and now you're helping so many other people do the same thing. It's absolutely remarkable. I just wanted to just pay my gratitude towards you in doing that it's such a needed thing and it, it's also taking away from the idea of that the process being so punitive in nature where there's a scarlet letter saying you made a mistake whatever it was in your life whether it's your fault or it's not your fault or whatever the situation was and you are learning from it and becoming better and getting that second chance so it becomes a true opportunity for growth for this moving forward into the future not that we're just or it's it's punishment and then we're gonna you're you're gonna be out and then it's you're gonna it's gonna be that self-fulfilling thing again you're gonna be back in again and again and again so i it's phenomenal that you've you went in this direction i absolutely give you all the credit in the world it's it's amazing yeah i appreciate it brother i i, I think <clears throat> what i learned about myself during that time incarcerated was that everything that i had to create a beautiful life was already inside of me and you knew this yourself, you know, five years ago, you like all of your ambitions and your deepest, darkest secrets and wildest dreams. Like they're literally just waiting for you to go all in. They're waiting for you to let go. And that like that, that is where the narrative needs to start with, with the men in this country, with the men in this world. What I found is that most, I don't want to say most, a lot of the conversations that are not happening around the dinner tables of America are because most men are uncomfortable with their current situation. Most men are not comfortable taking their shirt off in the mirror, so they don't want to talk to their kids about being physically fit. Most men are living paycheck to paycheck with a job that they freaking hate, so they're not comfortable talking to their kids about taking over the world and becoming an entrepreneur. That's where I think that this narrative and, and the narrative that you guys are pushing really, really gains traction, is that we're being sold a bill of goods about a society that just isn't true. We all have the opportunity to improve. And, and I would submit that it's actually our obligation as men, as masculine men, to get better, to become better, to build something. And, and those are the visions and the narratives that we should be passing down to future generations. While you mentioned the tablets, the 400,000 tablets and different uh, prison areas around the country, the curriculum that you have helping people become entrepreneurs, what do you see as the future for the accomplished program over the next five or five or so years? What, what are the next steps as you move forward in that direction? Great question. Uh, twofold. Number one, uh, technology in prison is going to change rapidly. I believe that you will not go to prison in the next five years in America without a tablet. And let me tell you why. They're going to save a ton of money with the use of technology. If, if one individual can pull up a FaceTime and be able to talk to their family or their relatives or their loved ones, I no longer need to move that individual to the phone. I now don't need to employ a guard to move that individual to visitation. If, if, I, can, if I can FaceTime on my tablet into education and into school, I now no longer need an education instructor on the yard. I save that salary. So technology is going to change the prison system greatly. And you have the Pell Grant coming out in 2023, which will be the first time an incarcerated individual will be able to obtain Pell Grant money for, for schooling that is going to only happen on a grand scale with the use of tablets. So I believe that tablets in America are going to become the forefront in terms of the prison system. And, and at Accomplished Ventures, we believe that we're gonna be on the forefront of that curriculum, changing the way and paving the way. The second thing that I've learned is this, I've had so many departments of corrections and and P&P, &P, uh, parole and probation come to me and say, hey, we've heard about what you've done inside, but 
once these guys get outside, we're having such a tough time keeping them on track. And so my focus for 2022 and beyond is convicted mindset. Convicted mindset is all about the bridge of building the men after they are released. And so we walk them through the tangible pillars of life. We start with mental, we go into physical, we move into spiritual, and we end with financial. It's a 52-week course where we walk individuals through how to X, Y, and Z. How do I wake up in the morning? How do I make sure that I'm doing what I should be doing? How do I make sure my habits are aligned with my intentions, which are aligned with my goals, which are aligned with my actions? We're literally building the men the way that they should have been built. And parole and probation is not going to do that. I'm sorry, you're not going to get a live branch from a dead tree. So it's our obligation to be the bridge after they leave the gate and they're fired up and they built themselves inside. It's our opportunity now at Convicted Mindset to take them and from where they are to where they deserve to be. That that should be a requirement for anyone who's coming out of an incarcerated experience. That should almost be a requirement for any man to go through yeah. a 52-week yeah. program at some point in their life. When they graduate from high school and they go through this program to help them yeah. understand what being a man is all about and all these different things. It, like it, It's a life requirement. Um, Travis, it should be, right? Like uh, we, don't, we don't get that stuff. We, we recently did a program, it was a free event, we called it the Pillars of Masculinity, and we asked people that we had interviewed over the past couple months, we said, send us a, a three-minute video clip giving a piece of advice to a high school young man. And it was the, the piece of advice around self-discipline, around authenticity, about identity. Um, it was... It was such an, a rewarding experience, and we did it for free, and we'll release it just, you know, anybody who's interested in, in taking a look at it. But you know, I have a son who's 16 years old, and he watched it. He's like, that, that was amazing. Hearing men explain their experiences and things that they have gone through, mistakes that they have made, but also what did they learn from these mistakes that would further help the next generation of young men, like pulling them up by, you know, like when they needed that experience to be pulled up. It was for, for I mean, for me, it was probably yeah. my most rewarding experience through this, this program, yeah. through building men, but it, there's such a need for it. So if there's any way that we can support you in your mission, we are all on board. I, we absolutely love what you're doing. I would love, first of all, I, I would love to see that, that, that video. And then secondly, what I'd love to do is um, let's have a conversation and see if we can get that, into all of the tablets let's do it i like i yeah. we'll, we'll have it over to you within the next couple of days and there's that there's some synergy here i definitely feel it i feel like the mission of building men really aligns with what you're doing and I'm, I'm so happy that we were able to to connect with you today travis tell the building men audience where we can reach out to you or where we can find you yeah absolutely uh if you're on social media it's i am travis ritchie and if you have a loved one that's incarcerated or a friend or a family member that's incarcerated and feel that they can benefit from any of our programs, that's over at accomplishedventures.org. And if you are on this side of the fence and feel that you want to be built up and want to join and, and really be in a network and a community that builds people up, that's at convictedmindset.com. Tremendous, brother. Anything, any final questions, Anne? Um, so first of all, it's just amazing. Dennis hinted at this before, but how much of what you said resonates just with me personally, right? Like just all the struggles that you went through, all the things that you're working with. So what would be one thing that you could tell the building men audience that they could start today, let's say, wherever they are, incarcerated or not, just wherever they are, feeling stuck, feeling like they don't have purpose. What's one thing that can they can do starting right now? Man, such a great question. You'll never be successful until you're able to turn your pain into greatness. I think so oftentimes we have been sold such a bill of goods with social media that you can wake up with three filters on your face, you know, a six pack abs and a million dollars all from your mother's basement. And it's complete bullshit. It really is. I think the reason that so many of the men that we talk to have a problem or have an issue is because their pictures of their life do not line up with how it is right now. So rewiring that perspective, I believe that you have to find your ultimate freedom with inside of you. And most of the time it requires you going to that point of pain, that point of trauma to realize what it is that you're here on earth to do. We only have in, in general, 78 of these go rounds, 78 years. Like that's the average, you know, white dude on this planet, plus or minus 80 years. 
And so if we've used up half of those, I want to make sure that you are not stuck in one of the traps of self-doubt for the next half of that life. Absolutely tremendous. Turning pain into greatness is the name of this podcast episode. To fund Building Men, Instagram is building.men, buildingmencoach at gmail.com. Our website is buildingmen.io. Check out our sponsors. We have two sponsors right now. Could be a third on the way. We'll go back to the T thing to start the episode. Um, our sponsors are Become Stronger Industries, maker of handmade steel maces, and Finish the Race of Power, where you can get everything Building Men. Um, truly appreciate Travis Ritchie for being on. I didn't get an opportunity to ask you about pack of smokes is currency we'll do that the next time i just want i, I need to know about <laughs> i saw you wrote that down. i wrote pack of yeah, smokes yeah. i wrote down yeah. shiv pack of smokes quaid nelson that's how, that's how i do my and o'doyle rule and i also wrote I wrote, I wrote kelly kapowski because I, I had a crush on her from uh saved by the bell oh, when sure. you, she was she was one of the ones also how, from, about, um, how about if we're talking about crushes and we're taking it back to the 90s how about topanga from boy meets world topanga Alyssa milano i mean <laughs> yeah. do a whole episode just just on that on that just just on that um and our final thing is um if you're interested in a uh, four-day, three-night experience. Um, me, Anthony, Austin, Linney, and Chase Tollison will be holding the Hero's Journey Men's Retreat April 28th through May 1st in Lake Tahoe, California. It's a truly holistic experience helping us find community, find brotherhood, and go through a badass you know, four-day, three-night experience. So check that out. For the Building Men audience, go a step further than you thought you can go. We'll see you next time on Building Men. <laughs>